Welcome back to the shed, everybody. As you can see, we are doing it virtually again because this week we have a really special guest, Bowen Ma, who is the sitting MLA for the NDP in the Lower Lonsdale riding, has agreed to come on and talk to us about a bunch of stuff we have questions about. I think we will hear from her about uh, what is it like being an MLA? What's the life of an MLA like? Strangest things that have ever happened. I don't know what all else, but we're really looking forward to that. Stick with us. This will be fun. And get ready to uh, have us chat with Bo and Mo. Oh, and there she is. Hi. Hi. How you doing? I'm doing all right. <laughs> there you are. Okay, good. Nice to meet you all. Nice to meet you. Right. Really glad Hi, to Bowen. see you. Good to see you. So this, these guys, I'm Pat. The guy with all the hair is KJ, Kevin McNulty. And the guy in the blue shirt is Richard, Richard Tench. Hi. You guys, that's Bowen. Bowen I, I go as RJ sometimes, and Pat goes as PJ, and Kevin as KJ, just because we all have the same middle initial. Okay, I was going to I was gonna ask, because none of, none of you have a J's in your name, according to <laughs> Zoom. No, but I, it's really super funny to us. <laughs> and i'm sure it is funny to other folks too yeah man maybe so i'm sure glad you could make it that's just great so let's start because your time is precious because we're retired we got all the time in the world <laughs> awesome so we read up on you a little we looked at the wiki article and your history prior to becoming a world famous mla and I'll just say that one of the things that caught my eye early on before I knew anything else at all about you is, oh, there's somebody running for office. She used to be a goalie. She used to be play hockey. Is that right? I actually didn't play goalie, no. Oh, good, good. I because... think I might have played in net once um, a long time ago, and I put the pads on backwards. It was really, really embarrassing, and oh. I was very, very bruised up. Oh, good, good. See, well, I'm reassured by that because as a lifetime hockey guy, I've had serious questions about mental stability among goalies. So I'm glad to know <laughs> that, that. Well, I, I would, I, I hazard a guess that the vast majority of goalies at least know how to put their, their <laughs> shin pads on. Yeah. Properly. I tried it once in my 20s and it was similarly disastrous. Just really, I put the gear on right, but oh boy. I hadn't even thought through how you get up once you fall down, you know, with all that stuff on. I didn't even know how to do that. Yep. So um, what I played, though, was I played defense. And oh, good. Very unidextrous, so I could only play defense on the right side because I could only stop properly in one direction. So if I tried to play defense on the left side of the rink, <laughs> I, there was a huge gap between me and the board. So I had to play on the right side. Well, geez, that's even better because I'm a lifetime D-man. And I've done the whole cycle from where you're at. What'd you call it? Unidextrous? I, I said, what, did I say unidextrous? Yes, as opposed to ambidextrous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very one-sided, yeah. yeah. I used to be able to do them both pretty well, but now in the latter part of my youth, I restrict myself to playing the left side. So that caught my attention. And then what happened after that for me, and the reason I've dragged the guys into this and you into this, is I started seeing... On social media, I started seeing stuff you were doing, and I thought, ooh, ooh, this is what I want to see more of. And so that led to, you know, I'm not going to say stalking you on social media, but certainly following you and that to here, right? So 
before politics, you were an engineer and you were president. I, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but it was the Engineering Society. Is that right? Or? The Engineering Undergraduate Society out at UBC, yeah. yeah. And I was kind of wondering whether that had anything to do with an eventual entry to politics. Well, I would say, um, I mean, it certainly taught me a lot. And I probably learned a lot about myself and, and what I do when I become passionate about issues. But when I was the when I was involved with the UBC engineers, um, I was not politically literate. I wouldn't call myself politically literate. I didn't know what was going on outside the university. I knew a lot about what was going on inside my engineering society and in student politics, but I didn't follow federal politics. I didn't follow provincial politics. I didn't follow municipal politics. It was very much a, a little bubble. But there are a lot of parallels in the kind of work that we do. I mean, when I was working as a, or when I was serving as president for the Engineering Undergraduate Society, and when I was serving in other executive positions, our our purpose was to serve our constituents and, and get them the support that they needed and, and create a society that, um, that the students could be proud of, that felt uh, that they felt was representative of them. And there was certainly a lot of work um, involved in that that uh, I carried on into my work as an MLA. Like, as an example, um, trying to motivate and organize volunteers to give up hundreds and hundreds of hours of their time uh, for the dream of creating a better future is, isn't any, it's not easy and it's not something that you can really learn to do just from a professional life where, I mean, you can be a manager of a massive team, but you're paying them to be there, which is very, very different um, scenario than trying to motivate volunteers who can walk out on you at any second. Uh, yeah. So I learned a lot from that for sure. I might, I might attempt to argue that, you know, if you're a manager of paid employees and you want to get anything out of them, you better apply the kinds of strategies that you apply to unpaid volunteers. You better try to motivate them in that same way. But yeah, if it comes down to it, nobody's just walking away from a full-time job because they don't like your tie or they, you know, they don't like your jokes or whatever yeah. it was. So yeah, that would be, that'd There's be a thing. There's definitely transferable skills <laughs> um, in, in, and into the professional realm as well. But yeah, the dynamic is different. Working with volunteers, working with uh different incentives to motivate people with. Yeah. Yeah. I would guess probably you have a pretty uh, devoted squad of volunteers uh, and I'm not saying that to be flattering. I'm saying it because your approach appears to be uh, one of the things I've always noted is a human. So most of the politicians I've ever paid attention to in my life behave primarily as politicians as opposed to people. And I guess one of the things that's striking about your approach has been very human. And I, I don't know how to better express that. Things like singing on the streets during the early part of the COVID, posting pictures of you hauling that cart. That wagon, Your yes. wagon just loaded with hand cleaner. I'm just thinking, wow. I'm not seeing or imagining too many other MLAs that are doing that kind of stuff. And it is those kind of behaviors that I would expect would attract people to support to be volunteers. Uh, just for the record, we're all old and tired. Otherwise, we'd be signing up like 100%. All right, boys? Speak for yourself there, PJ. <laughs> I like the West Van song in particular. Oh, the West Van Beeline song. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I really have to hand it to 
um, District North Vancouver Councillor Jordan Back for bringing that to life. And it was sung absolutely by by a group of, of I guess, beeline enthusiasts as well. But Jordan's version was arguably better. I don't know if you heard the other one. It was very entertaining. They had held up a cardboard beeline while they were singing. Oh, that's right. I did see that. Yeah. And I guess for your listeners who might not know what I'm talking about right now, um, the West Van Beeline song was a parody song in support of having the beeline extend all the way through West Vancouver. And the lyrics were written to Hey Jude. West Van, don't be afraid. Take a bus trip and make it better. Give buses. Oh, that's yeah, right. Hey Jude, I, yeah. I couldn't. I wasn't going to remember that song. Glad. Yeah, I do remember that. Uh, so at that time, I was driving a shuttle for a car dealership, and the subject of the beeline came up fairly often. And so my thought would be, good job to get out there and sing a song, because there's a lot of people who were not especially overwhelmed with joy about the extension of the beeline, particularly into West Van. Um, well, and it was also quite uh, a divisive issue for the community as well. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, parody songs are, I think, a a nice way to inject a little bit of humor and advocacy in a positive way. Yeah, it allows people a little bit of perspective that they might not otherwise get. They they take a step back as they're being amused and then, oh, maybe I should think about this more. So, you know, this next one here is a typical day for an MLA. I kind of wonder if we should even ask you that because I have a feeling you're an atypical MLA. So Um, how about that? Well, I would say that every MLA is different from each other because there's no guidebook. There's no handbook for how to be an MLA when you're elected. Mm. Like when I was first elected, it it was almost a little bit like starting up a company. You were trying to figure out like, how do I hire staff? Like, do I need an office? What's my office look like? What am I even going to do out of this office? What kind of services am I going to provide? And most of what I learned about how to be an MLA was by talking with other MLAs and then taking parts of what they were doing um, that I liked the most and then combining them. So every MLA is going to serve the community different. But in terms of like a typical day for an MLA, I would say the most structured, most consistent uh, part of our job is when we are in the BC legislature. Mm-hmm. And of course, COVID has changed a lot about that. But in a non-COVID time, um, when we are called to the legislature, at least here uh, on in, on the government side, and, and keep in mind that this is a minority government, which means that uh, discipline in terms of when you're in Victoria and when you're not is is really important because you need to be able to be there when when it counts. And so uh, for for the BCNDP caucus, the BC government caucus, we are expected to be there Sunday night until Thursday night. The legislature sits from uh, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, when the floor is active, you're expected to be in the physical building the entire time because when a vote is called, mm-hmm. uh, you're given five minutes to rush wow. to the chambers 
and the way you're notified is that the bells ring. It's like a bells. school bell. Oh, if, you know, I've heard the bells ring and it was never quite clear to me what that was about. You see it in TV, you know. Yes, that's right. So the bell system is heard throughout the BC legislature building and that's how they communicate what's going on in the in the chambers. If there's a vote in the main chambers, there's um, a series of three bells that are rung and then you get five minutes and if you don't make it in the chambers for your vote they tile the doors which means they lock you out <laughs> there's actually been some famous cases of ministers and i believe even premiers getting locked out of votes because they didn't make it there in time and so it's very structured when we are sitting in the legislature you are uh, you have times when you are you have to be in the building and we take shifts because otherwise, I mean, you can't expect, you know, 87 people to be sitting inside um, in a, at a little desk for, you know, 10, 12 hours a day. It's like you, you would get nothing done and, and it's just bad for your health. So we take shifts. And when you're not on shift, you're somewhere else in the building and every office has a television that is linked into what's happening in the chamber. And so you can watch what's happening in the chamber while you're doing work at your desk or you can take meetings, and then everything, you drop everything, bells ring. Uh, so that's the most structured part of being an MLA. But aside from that, everything else comes down to the personality and the, this, and the style of MLA that you are. Some MLAs will be um, taking meetings all day. Some MLAs will be out on the streets all day. Some MLAs might work from home, or they might not work very much outside of the legislature at all. It just depends on how comfortable you are in your riding and what you believe. Huh. Well, that's pretty interesting. So there's a couple of things in there. One of, one of the things that occurs to me to ask was, you know, you mentioned you picked up the whole how to be an MLA handbook kind of randomly from various people. Is there anybody on either side that you particularly modeled after or particularly admire that, that really shaped a lot of the way you do your job? Um, yeah, actually, I followed uh, or I modeled my office and a lot of the things that I do after David Eby, who currently oh. serves at the, as the attorney general. So I went into his office and he, his constituency office, which in retrospect now as attorney general might be a little bit challenging for him to deal with, but his office is totally open. It's an open concept. You walk in through the doors and as a constituent, you can walk all the way through to the back with basically no barriers. When he was in opposition, I think that this worked really well. It was a very welcoming place. My office is similarly designed. Um, but as attorney general, with some of the protests that have that mm. naturally occur um, when you're in a high profile position with more controversial topics, you can sometimes get sit-ins and so forth. I think that's been more challenging with his open um, concept. And so my office is actually designed with uh, both the open concept, but also a, an ability to segment off the front area from the back area. To... A safe room in the back? Is that? Well, it's just, an. It, I mean, it is important for uh, for me as an employer to make sure my staff are safe. I'm, I'm just joking. So, oh, yeah. No, for sure. I mean, I actually haven't had, um, I mean, it's been very interesting. I've, I've definitely had people come to, uh, to demonstrate at my office, but oh. I've, I've been able to uh, go out and, and actually sit down and speak with them. So for instance, there were, there were some, some folks who came to demonstrate outside of my office um, and they were set up uh, on uh, just outside the, the building. And I 
I, I knew that they were coming. I had heard through the grapevine that they were coming. And so I actually went out and bought some cookies and some, some tea and coffee um, and brought out some chairs because some of the, some of the demonstrators were quite elderly and, and that is a very hard floor to, to sit on. And so I was able to, to just go out there and sit with them for, for an hour or so and listen to their concerns. And I think that they appreciated the having the opportunity to be heard. I'm sure they did. But at the same time, I did tell my staff to stay home that day because I didn't know how it yeah. was going to go. And I can put myself out there, but but they're, it's not their job to be put in a position that, that makes them feel unsafe. Yeah. Yeah, I bet you if somebody was hoping for a confrontation, being met with cookies and milk and chairs probably, you know, geez, my confrontation just went out the window. Like, what a drag. Um, <laughs> I think people want to be heard. That's why I endeavor to do. So speaking of David Eby, there was just one thing I wanted to cover. You tweeted the other day that you had tied in a contest for worst joke ever. And in your case, it was inadvertent. What was the joke? I'm dying to know. <laughs> so it was a fundraiser, an in, uh, a party fundraiser for Coquitlam Burke Mountain, which ah. is one of the ridings over out in the Tri-Cities. And a lot of uh, several MLAs were invited to give dad jokes, including the premier. Um, and I didn't have a joke. So instead, I told a story about a colleague of mine, George Chow, who is an MLA for Vancouver Fraser View, and he's also the Minister of State for Trade. And I told a story about his dad humor. His dad humor is the kind of dad humor where he's okay with embarrassing his children and, you know, you know, that kind of humor. He And I told the story of how he completely embarrassed me, called me out in front of a 350 person crowd. Um, and I just like sank into my seat. I don't need to go through here, but it was a story about, yeah, basically him um, oh, getting a lot of laughs and great and great humor at my expense. I thought my joke, my story was great. But what I didn't realize was that the judges were tweens and young teens oh. um, with sh much shorter ex attention spans than I expected. And so my story went on and on. It had this huge buildup. And then I, you know, finished it and, and half of them had already <laughs> lost interest and zoned out. So that's why I scored so well. Oh, so that was the bad part. Yeah. You think, Okay. <laughs> It took me quite a while to catch up there. <laughs> so then, okay, that's that's that probably provides us a bit of a lead-in for another one, which is what is the strangest thing that's happened in your job? Like, of all the stuff, you must have been to a million of this kind of meeting that we're having now, and events and places and people. What's the strangest thing that's come up? Um, I did, you know, I did try to think about this once. And I don't know if I could really pinpoint the strangest thing because everything um, about being an MLA is is new and and unusual, especially for somebody who came from engineering. Yeah, I so I mean, being a politician is pretty different from being an engineer. I gotta say, um, but there are some things that. That I kind of think about every once in a while is like I can't believe that this is a this is happening, 
Um, and one of those things is um, I, I can't believe that there are news news outlets who care what I say on Twitter. Mm. You know, when I send a tweet and it makes the news, uh, that surprises me. And I also, sometimes I think that, wow, I can't believe that Justin McElroy is still out there trolling me. So I don't know if you know Justin McElroy. He's I've only very, seen his tweets. Yeah, I, I mean, he's quite a high-profile journalist now. Yeah. CBC, he does incredible work for them. Very provides very interesting and different kind of coverage from from other reporters, uh, and he's quite famous now, really, in British Columbia. But we went to university together. Okay, I was wondering because he, I have seen on, uh, yeah, I've seen him messing with you, not being a journalist. And I sort of thought, how does this exactly work? They've obviously got a good relationship here, but how does that happen exactly? Uh, do we? <laughs> I feel like he's trolling me all the time. Well, okay, so, so it's working for him. Anyway. Yeah, I think it's working for him for sure. But we went to university together. And here's the thing. When I was president of Engineering Undergraduate Society and involved in student politics there, he was working for the UBC, the UBC which is the student oh, yeah. paper. So he covered me when he was a student journalist and I was a student. So you've been his bread and butter for years then, you're saying? And now, like 10 years later, yeah, I, I feel like he's, he's, yeah, he's still trolling me the that, way that he did back then. That is pretty fun, actually. That's very fun. Like I said, you've been his bread and butter for years now. I'm short of things to talk about. What the hell is Bo and Ma been doing? <laughs> no, I think that he, well, I mean, I think I'm pretty small fish in his books, but it's, uh, yeah, it Who is kind of interesting to think about. Like a lot of the people that I knew back in university uh, and were who were involved in student politics back in university, they're still around, but yeah. now with real jobs and, <laughs> and bigger platforms. <laughs> oh, really? Bigger even than yours? Because I would have thought that having people pay attention to every little thing you did would be odd. I would find that odd. KJ's famous, so he's used to it, of course. He's a famous actor. I don't know. That was on our list, too. Have you ever seen him in anything? Snakes in a Plane? You know You know what? I'm not great with pop culture, actually. <laughs> and I had to look you up, KJ. Um, uh -huh. But you have quite a incredible resume. That's for sure. What a, what a diplomat, eh? Well, Holy. Long list on IMDb. Hey, can I ask you, did you grow up in North Van? I actually grew up in Vancouver. Ah. I moved to North Vancouver um, a few years before I ran uh, to join my partner here. But I grew um, up in Vancouver primarily. In the 90s, my kids went to school at Windsor House in North Van. And I'm wondering if you ever heard about that school. I do know Windsor House. Yes. And g give me some of your thoughts. I think it's incredible. Um we're talking about the the public alternative school. Is that yes, yes? It, it's it's a democratic, non coercive school is how they bill it. But it's it, it's no longer in existence, but which is I think quite sad. But I was just wondering if you had any dealings with it. I went on a tour to find out what they were about a couple of years ago, and that was the first time I had learned about them. Um, and Windsor House, from what I understand, had been uh, because it's. It's such a different type of, of school. Um, 
my understanding is what, well, when I went to visit it, it actually wasn't with the North Vancouver school district. It was being supported by the but, Gulf islands. Yes. District. Right. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken in, in more recent times, they've actually lost that support as well. Correct. It is. I think it is actually uh, really sad that we're not able to to support schools like that. How were your What were your children's experiences like there? Well, it was uh, it was fabulous. But what it, the school mostly did was um, it brought in all the kids who couldn't make it in public school because of various reasons. Uh, usually, um, weirdness. You know, like uh, socially unacceptable kids who were allowed to do whatever they wanted there. And, and it, it's, I, I think it's really sad that it's not there anymore. I always had to wonder if my kids would learn to read and write because you, in that school you have a choice. You can decide whether you want to learn to read and write, right? You make up your own classes. So it, it's incredible. gives them a, a great sense of self, but, uh, and it's sad that it's gone. So I'm glad that you did know about it. Thanks. I did get a chance to learn about it before, uh, yeah, before the end of its program. Yeah, I, uh, I think uh, there's a possibility that somebody might uh, try to do something about that in East Van, but who knows what the future holds. Absolutely. So I was going to ask, is this your first time on a panel with three old white guys? <laughs> um, that can't be. She's in government. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's a good answer, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, there is nothing to follow up that with. I just wanted to ask it. But I, I have heard that you actually have been pushing cannabis on your street. Is that true? And would you care to comment? <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> this is another one of those tweets that maybe I should think more about. Oh, um, no, I, I forwarded that one immediately. That's a, that was a retweet. <laughs> no, so I have, a, I have a neighbor who has been um, suffering from chronic pain because They've been waiting for hip replacement surgery, and, and certainly that uh, that hip replacement surgery, the, the wait time got a bit longer because, of course, mm. the first weeks of COVID, we had to shut down all all uh, non-urgent surgeries, and so we were talking about about pain management, and they were worried about the pain uh, the pain management medication that they were on at the time, and had expressed a few times that they would love to try an alternative pain management uh, medication, in particular CBD, but they weren't sure how to access that. <laughs> and they were also a little bit older, um, you know, and maybe uncomfortable actually going to... To, um, to some shady guy in the street? <laughs> well, I mean, we are... Cannabis is legal now, so... I know, yeah, teasing, I, but, I took a trip the, over to First Cannabis and picked up some... Yeah some CBD gel pills for them and, and pass them on. And then I kind of stepped back and thought, wow, this could, uh, <laughs> this could easily be a, easily be a headline in, in some other year. Or <laughs> did it work? Good, very good. Did it work though? Did you get feedback from them that said it worked or are they kind of indifferent or? I think they're, I think they're trying, they're not quite used to to how it feels, and and they're trying a few different yeah. things. Okay, just checking. I you know always interested in that kind of thing because it is often promoted for its medicinal uses, and I think there probably are a lot more than especially people even older than us. I know that's you know pushing your ability to imagine, but 
people even older than us will not have been experimenting for a long time. So I was interested. I've yeah, definitely no. heard from a lot of people who um, who benefit from uh, from CBD pills, and CBD is the I guess it's the part of cannabis that doesn't carry psychoactive uh, properties. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I actually take CBD pills myself uh, for my headaches when I get tension um, headaches related to like tension in my neck. Yeah. Actually, it helps me. Anyway. Um, we have a required question here on our podcast of all our guests, all our many celebrity guests. And the question is basically, if you were the all-powerful ruler of your own private island, how would your island run? Oh, gosh. For example, would everybody have to show up for a big general meeting every morning and then get their jobs and go out and do them? Or would you kick off people? Would you have jails? Would you have... Um, like, how would it all work? You know, I'm a big believer in democracy. And I believe oh, that... That's relief. <laughs> <laughs> but I believe that um, in informed... And active participation in democracy is what makes democracy work. Um, and I'm worried that our the level of participation in democracy in our society today is uh, not nearly what it should be in order for democracy to work as, as well as possible, as, as best as it can. And I also believe in proportional representation, which is why I had campaigned um, for that result in the referendum in 2019 as well, uh, because I believe that first past the post has mm. quite a few limitations in terms of actually um, electing people who represent the the wide variety of opinions yeah. and perspectives that people carry in the general population. So if I was the ruler of an island, <laughs> um, I would love to see a social democratic society where uh, people are not focused on, they're not focused on personal profit, but instead they're working together in order to achieve, uh, achieve a better world for, for all of them collectively and individually. You know what I would liken it to actually, I would liken it to Star Trek. I would love to see, like I would try (laughs) to set up, like a Star Trek universe, like a Federation universe there um, right. that recognizes that people are not perfect and there, there may still be conflict and there, and people will still have arguments and disagreements, but um, where all of us at least are able to agree yeah. that, that we're better together. Okay, well, I think that, yeah, well, well said. I think that aligns most closely with KJ's vision. He is the most idealistic of the three of us, I think I would say. Is that fair, RJ, do you think? Well, I don't know if I'd agree with that or not. Okay. He certainly is. Uh, on KJ's island, there, there is no money, I believe. Is that fair to say, KJ? Correct, yeah. And, and yeah, and things are done through bartering uh, in terms of economies. And uh, so, yes, he is definitely... Nobody's ever forced to do anything either. Like you can either contribute or not contribute. That's your choice as an individual. So Bolwin, I want to know your uh, political aspirations in the, in the, in the long term, the big picture. Oh gosh, long term. Um, I have so far committed to 
running for re-election at least once more. Good. And and that is <laughs> that is what I've committed to so far. Um, I mean, I don't know if being an MLA long term is something that I want to do as a career. And I actually believe strongly that um, elected representatives need to be there for a reason. Um, they have to be there to to help people. They have to be there because they, they still have something to give to the public. And the reason shouldn't be that mm-hmm. I want to be elected because I want to keep my job. That's a great pension. I just, yeah, I, I don't think that that's an appropriate reason for a person to run to be an MLA. But do you think, are you more effective if you were premier or prime minister? Uh, I think I'm really proud of the way that uh, my team and I and the community have come together in this term so far. And I've been really honored to be able to serve as an MLA and to serve the the people in my community. And I really want to be able to, to do that for at least one more term. I think I still got a lot to give. Um, and then we'll, we'll take it as, we'll take it as things go. So you deny that you want to be prime minister. <laughs> I, yeah, it's, it's not something that is attractive to me at all on a personal level, quite frankly. That's um, funny. I, yeah. My goal is, I mean, the reason why I ran was because I thought that, uh, well, I believed in John Horgan, certainly. And I believe that, um, that, British Columbia was not doing well under the BC Liberals. And I made the decision to run because I decided that I would have the ability to give of myself to my community. And if that stops being true, I really hope that I don't run again. I like I don't want to run at, to be an MLA simply because I've always been an MLA yeah. um, when I've run out of myself to give. So nice. Uh, sorry, I'm just going to toss one more question in here because I know that we're pushing time. But uh, yeah, so you talked about the first past the post system and proportional representation as as the latter being a good thing. Is it a good thing? It seems to me, and I'm just going to say, it seems to me sometimes it is a good thing that it's a minority government, not a majority. Like, does that kind of mean that you have to, you're in a position where the politicians have to cooperate more? And I'm thinking in particular with the COVID-19 response uh, with Dr. Henry and also the, the minister responsible, the health minister, cooperating with the other parties. It seems like you see that a lot more right now than, than we have in the past. Is that because it's a minority government? I think it's a big part of it for sure. I mean, there are benefits and there are benefits to a minority government and there are benefits to a majority government. Um, uh, a, an example of a benefit to a majority government in a first-past-the-post system is that you get governments who can act decisively during states of emergency. The, a minority government is able to govern only with the cooperation of at least one other party in, in case of the configuration that we're seeing in the House right now. Um, but it also, the reason why I support proportional representation isn't so much specifically minority versus majority government, but it changes the behavior of politicians. And of voters as well. And of voters, absolutely. Because under a first-past-the-post system, your success necessarily depends on your ability to put down other parties. And so when it comes to the next election, 
well, not necessarily, not exclusively put down other parties, but it's a big part of it. It becomes like either vote for them or for us. Like you need to be able to get a certain number of seats in order to be effective under first past the post. Um, and people don't really get a, there, there isn't a second choice. You've got to pick one or the other. Um, whereas under proportional representation, when a party's success is no longer about beating other parties, but just kind of um, presenting themselves as honestly as possible and and representing the the people who feel the same way as them, then I think that we end up with a more diverse house. Like you get more a greater diversity of views representing mm. the house, and then you you have to work with that greater diversity of representation in the house in order to get a majority vote. Um, mm. it, it does change the dynamic substantially because under proportional representation, because you're more likely to have minority governments, it means that your ability to collaborate with other parties becomes so important. And it may actually become one of the defining features of, of successful political parties. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not one of the defining features of successful no, parties no, right now under first past no. the post. It's yeah. uh, it's interesting that that's probably the main reason people are not in favor of it is because they don't have a belief that that kind of collaboration could happen. You're probably right that um, people maybe underestimated. Yeah. The ability of a a structural change, yeah. like proportional representation, to fundamentally change the culture of politics. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really impressive in a first past the post system that that you won the seat. That's very impressive, given that I think four thousand people voted for the green candidate, and um, people who vote for green candidates, if they were not given that choice, would tend to vote NDP. I would think it's actually. I think a bit split on that. Okay. Um, it's, it's not a given that all Green Party candidates or BC Green Party voters would, would vote NDP as their second choice. I think that it's common, but it's, I wouldn't say that it's a consensus. <laughs> I would have gone with RJ's assumption on that, so that's interesting to hear. Listen, I got to ask one more of these kind of a left field Twitter related questions. I, I just wanted to applaud a tweet I saw the other day. It was about, you made a remark about uh, a dog that appeared to be very intelligent to you. We could probably leave it at that, but boy, did I ever laugh. That was a very good tweet. I've told these guys what it was, but maybe we'll save that <laughs> among us. Well, you know, I think dogs are very perceptive creatures. <laughs> and PJ needs more of these positive kinds of tweets because he, he gets into doom scrolling sometimes. That's right. That's right. I chose to try to educate myself uh, via Twitter, and sometimes it's pretty oppressive, like nothing's any good, you know. And, you know, we just, there's only a couple more. I know we're late. Uh, I'll condense them down into one, I guess. You took a holiday recently up to Barkerville, and, and I just wondered, of that entire holiday, what was the single favorite thing that you saw? Um, well, I loved Barkerville, that's for sure. It's yeah. very different right now during COVID-19. They have fewer actors and fewer of the historical buildings are open for you to, to walk through. Although oh. you can peek in through the windows and boy, did I peek through a lot of windows. <laughs> um, so it's definitely a loved Barkerville. Uh, but I was also with my partner um, by the lake 
outside Wells. It's called Jack of Clubs Lake, I believe. I don't know it, but... It's right outside Wells, and there's a spot by the visitor center where you can kind of park at the visitor center and pull up a lawn chair up to the side of the lake and just kind of watch the lake. And we were sitting there watching the lake, and way off in the distance, I could see storm clouds gathering. And then we saw kind of a fuzzy, like a fuzzy haze start under the storm clouds and we realized we were watching the storm form and then we watched as the lake itself changed how how do I say well the look of the lake changed like it was really glassy near us and then it started to get really speckled and and hazy in the distance and then that hazy spot started to grow and I realized we were watching the storm cloud and the rain yeah. Move towards us. Yeah. Um, and that was really interesting because we could see it there at 10% of the lake and then 25% towards us and then halfway through the lake. And it was just a clear line. And we often think of rain as, as kind of. It just appears. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And I thought that I really loved that experience of just. Yeah. That was one of my. It's kind of a simple experience, I guess, but just kind of watching the rain coming towards you. It was one of my favorite things. I spent a couple of summers in the prairies, and that's one of the things I liked. I There's a lot of stuff I didn't like, but I really liked being able to see the weather coming from way off. So that's a good answer. Good answer. So I think we better let you go. We're over time already. We really appreciate you taking the time. Lots of fun. We had a million other things, but uh, we've probably done enough damage. So thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Oh yeah, and absolutely. If you uh, if you need to come on again to reach our you know sixty five listeners or whatever we've got, we're here for you. Well, if I lose the election by sixty four votes or something, like that. <laughs> well, sadly our listeners are scattered all over North America, so they don't all have votes either. Um, is there anything else anyone can think of? No, this has been great. Yeah, really appreciate it. Also, really like the job that you're doing up there. And a lot of the things that you're fighting for, especially like the progressive home taxes, our son just bought a condo and he would never have been able to afford it under the old days when, when, uh, the house, the prices were so high. So I think he just slipped in. I know prices are going up again, but I think the, the vacancy taxes have, uh, really helped quite a bit. Yeah. My worry is that they, they, it might not be a long-term fix because i think the market will will kind of adjust and and fill in some of the gaps but it's definitely important at least there are people living in there yeah okay well i guess we should just wrap it up thanks so much again and we wish you all the best and yeah absolutely good job keep going and hopefully we'll talk again soon thank you very much see you later kj nice questions about the school way to go i was I was just about to uh, cop to my guilt about my um, skepticism. I don't remember. I don't know if you remember, but when your kids were in there mm. and you were telling me how it worked, I was skeptical. Or, or, and, A lot uh, of people were skinny. Yeah. Well, I, I think I've already told you this, but I was going to say it in front of her. I Clearly wrong. Like, clearly wrong. Mm. And so I've since then, I've had to really not had to. I have just simply reevaluated. That, that school worked a lot better than I gave it credit for. Isn't she great? Yeah, she's pretty good. And she does do good work. And 
I do hope she gets reelected. And I do think, too, that a lot of the stuff she does and how she does it is getting picked up and sort of copied by other MLAs, certainly NDP MLAs. There's a bunch of them. Uh, Rich, your MLA out there, I think it's Katrina Chen might be yours. I don't know. Anyways, there's a bunch of them who I had never heard of who started showing up. They started doing songs. They started being more visible. So, yeah, I, I, and it is true that my reason for interest in her largely is because I just thought this is not how I'm used to seeing politics done. And it's much more how I'd like to see it done. I especially liked what she had to say about, I don't want to make a career out of this. I'm doing it because I have something to bring. But once it's just a job I want out, I wish more politicians did that. Anybody else reminded of AOC? (laughs) No, I wasn't. But... Only in the sense that she's left wing and intelligent. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I was, yeah. And that whole business with the dog, I jeez, I laughed about that. I thought that was pretty bold to uh, tweet that. And I don't think anybody really rose to it. And you will notice again and again if you follow her that she doesn't hardly ever, she always takes the high road. For instance, the other day, Jane Thornwaite, who is my MLA, did a post about how how they should deal with bears that are in uh, urban areas and the policy on killing them needs to be reviewed and changed and the current government, you know, this policy has been a year's current government needs to do stuff. Like, it's just, you know, come on. And her response was just, Jane, I think you're absolutely right. I think your, uh, your party, your position in government now doesn't restrict you from organizing a panel to review this. I'd be happy to participate if you want to be on it. In other words... You want to do something, Jane? Just step right up and I'll join. And I bet you a dollar nothing happens. But it's her responses are usually like that, where it's, hmm. no, I'm not going to just get in there and start slinging mud. And some of the stuff the liberals have done have, have been really more along the populist line in terms of, is that really fact-based? And is this really a, an assault on character as opposed to an assault on performance? And it just never never rises to that typically. Which I like a lot. Well, we got to go up one day and, and just volunteer for some place. <laughs> that would be fun. Well, that's a thought. If the three of us went, oh, I never even thought of that. That's a really good idea. Well, yeah, like just their t-shirts. Yeah, well, hand, hand out masks from behind a table or something, you know, and just oh. yeah, some really basic volunteer work. That's a really good yeah. idea, KJ. I'm the difficulty though. I'm just going to warn you. I donated money to the NDP. What last fall? Oh boy! If you ever feel a lack of attention, that nobody cares about you, <laughs> no. that you wish you heard from more perfect strangers in a given week, just give like fifty bucks to the NDP sometime. Yeah, you'll have friends for life. It just goes on. And yeah, on, we eh? did that with the federal liberals one time. Um, actually, before Trudeau was elected. To be fair, there's always an unsubscribe link at the bottom of the emails. Well, like mine is phone calls, right? Yeah. I've had a bunch, and and I don't know if you can unsubscribe from the mail, phone lists. You have to have very clear wording. Please please add me to, no, it's please add me to your do not call list. It's actually, there's a federal, Uh, federal regulation. You have to refer to the do not call list and then you're good.
Thanks, everybody. That's the end of the episode. Uh, thanks especially to Bo and Ma for coming in. We really enjoyed that. Uh, with any luck, we'll see her again when she's Prime Minister, even though she claims to not aspire to that. I think time will tell. Uh, no, really enjoyed that. Hope to see her again. And I uh, hope you come back and join us all soon. If you're listening to this, highly recommend you go watch the video. Uh, because we did some fantastic camera work there and also because it's just fun. That's all. It's just fun. Thanks, and we'll see you soon. Boys, say goodbye. See you.